Good morning. Welcome to the Church of the Palms. I'm Joe Dana, and I serve as an elder in our congregation. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. As we prepare for worship, let us bow our heads in prayer. Come, Spirit of God, to rest on our community, embracing the poor, bringing equity to the meek, turning away all expressions of evil. Come into this congregation to enliven our worship, to immerse us in righteousness, to prompt our faithfulness. Rain on us your hope and joy and peace, filling the whole earth with your glory. Amen. And now as we continue in our worship, let our hearts receive his Holy Spirit, our ears listen to his word, and our voices be raised in praise to the glory of God.
Today is the second day of Advent. We will light the candle that symbolizes peace. Listen to the scripture reading from Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2 and 6 through 9, which reveals the good news. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. We light this candle today in preparation for the coming of Christ.
Joy to the world. The Lord, the King, has come. Do we have joy in our hearts this morning in anticipation of his coming? Or does that joy elude us by awareness of failure through words, through acts, through unwillingness to act, by permitting anxiety to sabotage the allure of other gods in this season? Let us confess our sins to the God who comes to us that his joy may be in us. Shall we pray? Awesome God, we have disregarded your word, failing to inquire after your will for us. We have ignored the needy, defended our advantages, and neglected our prayers. We have not appreciated our witness to your sustaining love. Instead, we destroy the resources of the earth with little regard for those who follow us. We value your prosperity more than the harmony you envision for your people. Deliver us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. At the beginning, at the end, and in every time between, the good news speaks to us of God's tender mercy and his love for us. God comes not to punish, but to gift us with peace, not to judge, but to save us, not to leave us sad, but to put joy in our hearts. So friends, believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. during this season, when we think of the one true meaning of this part of the year, let's affirm that historic faith in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. And now let's greet one another.
Welcome to this, the second Sunday of Advent. We are thankful that we continue in our journey to the Bethlehem manger and are thankful that you have chosen to join us on a part of that journey today. We especially welcome you if you happen to be visiting with us today. We are thankful that we have the chance to have the opportunity to welcome people from near and far into our midst as they share in this great pilgrimage. What do we have here? <laughs> we, we have the visit of an angel, it appears, or two, I should say. Two angels, one with halo. <laughs> Tell me, why are you here? We bring good tidings of great joy. We welcome you to come visit us at, on Saturday at four for the Christmas pageant. And that was it. <laughs> Give them a round of applause, yes. Now you can say you were visited by an angel. <laughs> there you go. Yes, this coming Saturday, you won't want to miss the Christmas pageant. It will, it's always a big part of our, our church's life in Advent, and we would love to have you come and share in the life of our families and our children especially as we rejoice in uh, the good news that has come to us from angels and from others. Uh, speaking of Advent, we have our Advent series, our uh, Bible study that takes place on Wednesday evening. The King is coming. It has, grown, it has drawn so much uh, response, we're having to move it to the chapel. So we would love to have you come and join us. Dale Walrath is teaching a compelling series on the Word of God and the Word of Christ. And we're grateful for uh, us to be called into that reflection of the biblical story and how it makes sense from both the Old and New Testament. So we would love to have you come and join us Wednesday evening at 6.30 in the chapel. Be preparing with us, we hope, for uh, December the 25th is not only Christmas Day and all of what you think of that is, traditionally speaking, but also it will be the first day of our Family Promise Week where we'll be housing those who are homeless in our church buildings and we would love for you to come and join us, uh, perhaps even especially on Christmas Day, if not throughout the course of that week leading up to New Year's Day. Uh, we remember that first Holy Family was homeless, and so we are grateful for the opportunity to host uh, one or two families in this season. So you might want to sign up under the, uh, the tree that uh, you might participate with us during the course of that week. We are going to be moving to a new service time schedule beginning on January 1st. Um, that grabs your attention, I'm sure. <laughs> um, and it really primarily affects our garden worship uh, community. They will be moving from 9 o'clock until 10 o'clock. So our services will be 9, 10, and 11 o'clock. That's easy to remember. 9, 10, and 11 o'clock. Uh, it also will allow uh, for the campus to have one uh, preacher uh, during the course of the morning. So uh, whether it's me or somebody else, we'll be kind of running from one service to the next, and uh, it will allow us to use our resources more wisely. So we are grateful for that, uh, but we want to keep that in your mind, and perhaps that will give you the chance to worship twice on a Sunday. <laughs> you don't respond so positively to that. <laughs> oh, dear. Speaking of worship, one worship uh, time note for you to, worship note uh, for you to pay attention to in this service. Our last hymn is recorded as hymn number 58, uh, While Shepherds Watch Their Flocks by Night. Well, we have actually two of those in the hymnal, 58 and 59, and we'll be singing to the tune of number 59. 
So keep that in your uh, memories as we uh, approach that time in our service. On page nine, you will see an update in terms of our generosity effort, and I call this, your attention to this on a couple of scores. One is that we are looking forward to breaking ground for our new building over there in the South 40 on January the 15th. That's coming up very soon, and we're looking forward to a congregation-wide moment where we'll be out there and celebrating the good news that God has prepared for us in the construction of the new Palm Center. January 15th, right at the end of the service, uh, we will be inviting you to come and join us out there. And you'll note that uh, we are making some progress with our challenge for the congregation to uh, arise above and beyond either your original pledges or perhaps if you've not had yet a chance to pledge to the Palm Center, uh, we are about $150,000 shy of what our challenge is and hopefully we'd love to reach that by the time we break ground. So keep that in your mind. You know, giving, uh, and especially Advent and Christmas reminds us of sort of the two secrets of life. And the two secrets of life are that uh, the kingdom of heaven belongs to children. Christmas certainly reminds us of that. And secondly, that there is more joy in giving than there is in receiving. We all know that in our minds, but certainly Christmas and Advent reminds us of that and invite us into that practice. Well, Maddie Parada, who many of you know, who's sitting right over there, stand up there, Maddie, I'm, there we go. Hello, Maddie, give Maddie a wave, give her a round of applause, yes. <clears throat> you may remember her as the one who makes it first to the chancel for the children's moment here on Sunday morning. Maddie uh, took very seriously one of our uh, encouragements over the course of the last several months uh, to give to those who are in need, especially the homeless. We've been talking about the homeless. And uh, she took that very seriously to mind, and uh, this video is to tell the rest of that story. I heard her talk about the homeless. I heard about it in Children's Moment, and Miss Lori talked about it. I wanted to have a lemonade stand because I wanted to raise money for the homeless. I had it at my gym, and I raised $200. Whenever I find money, I put it in an envelope and I bring it to church because I like to give to the Church of the Palms because I want to raise money for the church and the homeless. I think I made a difference. second part to that story. Um, Maddie not only put out her lemonade stand and collected $200 for homeless relief that she was happy to present to us, but then a couple months later she heard about this challenge that we put out to our congregation as well as to our children to uh, help out with relief for the uh, hurricane victims in Haiti. And many of you know that we received an offering and we were grateful to be able to respond to that urgent effort. Well, Maddie took that to heart and thought, well, maybe I'll just put another lemonade stand out and uh, we'll see if we can collect some money there. Well, her mom suggested, Angela suggested that perhaps they talk to their teacher about, her teacher about that. And so uh, she went to her teacher and the teacher said, well, let's think about a plan uh, that, the, that the class could perhaps participate in. Well, long story short, the class put up together a plan and posters went up and collection boxes went out. And at the end of the day, that little uh, first grade class collected 
$1,100 for Haiti relief. Yes. She is very excited about that, as are we. And it's just one of those uh, opportunities for us to seize and remember these two great secrets, right? That the kingdom of heaven belongs to the child that is within us, and that the kingdom of heaven also discovers, helps us to discover that the greatest joy comes not in receiving, but in giving. And we're, delightful. we're delighted that we have the opportunity as a, as a church to present that example, not only to the world, but more importantly to our children. And especially as we are making our way through this Advent season and Christmas, we encourage you to bring that to mind as you consider your giving toward the end of the year. Let us continue our worship with our morning offering. <laughs> Yeah. 
Let us pray. Our most loving and generous God, we give you thanks for your blessings we receive each day from you. In this moment in worship, we bring a token of our love in this offering and tithings back to you so that the peace of Prince and all the good news of the gospel may fill this earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now please be seated as our children and Carol come forward. Come on up. We've got more angels visiting everybody. All these kids are getting ready for the pageant. It's going to be great. <laughs> There's Maddie. Good job, Maddie. It's awesome. Trace, you want to stand right here? Sit right here. Thank you. Oops, sorry. Hey, guys. You can come sit here. Come on. Right here. You want to sit right here? Right next to Clara May. So, Today is the second time, second day, week in Advent, and you might have seen they lit the candles. The second candle in Advent is the peace candle. Do you guys remember why we light the candle? Does anybody remember why we light the candle? What is the light of the light? We, can, we light the candles because Jesus is the light of the world, and Jesus is coming again. So Trey, will you hold that sign up really high? Stand up and hold that sign up. So the second candle that we're lit is, represents the peace candle. Does anybody know another sign for peace? What is it? Uh, I have a purple A. Oh, what's a sign for peace? A peace sign or this. Oh, like this, yeah. So you know what, I believe that Jesus, that, that peace began, you can sit down. I believe that peace began when God sent his son to be born in a manger. You know they call Jesus the Prince of Peace. Um, so Jesus, is ex Jesus has a, when he comes back, we have a new kind of peace. The prophet says that there'll be a new kind of peace when Jesus comes back, a world that we can live where there's no pain and no suffering and no one's hungry and no one's alone. Let me show you what I'm talking about. So in my bag, I have... Um, a lion. And if I were to tell you this lion is a carnivore, what do you think that means? He eats meat. He eats meat, right. Okay. Can you hold the lion? And also, I have a little lamb. And she is an herbivore. What does that mean? Yes, Olivia. They eat um, plants. Plants, okay. So, if... My lion, just let's suppose that five days went by and Mr. Lion hadn't eaten anything. And then along came Mrs. Lamb. And what do you think might happen? The lion's going to eat the lamb. Ah, the lion's going to eat the lamb. Yep, it's the food chain, people. That's what happens. Lions eat lambs. But, you know, the world that Jesus has prepared for us when he comes back is a world where the lion sits down with the lamb and they live in peace together forever. But until that happens, we are called to be peacemakers in this world. We can love and be kind to each other. We can try to get along and we can be kind and respectful to others. So we can be peaceful helpers to God 
in our preparation as we prepare our hearts for Jesus' birthday, which is Christmas. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, thank you for, um, in this world where we sometimes aren't peaceful, guide our mouths and our actions and our words to be peaceful and loving to others. We love you in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we continue our Advent journey through the books of the prophets. We're listening to the word of God as it comes to us through the prophets. The prophets are those who looked ahead and wondered what God might be up to in the future, including the birth of Jesus. And today we are in a uh, seldom read prophet, and that is the prophet Joel. The narrative lectionary invites us to hear the message of the prophet Joel. How many of you have read Joel recently? <laughs> I didn't think so. But within the great message of Joel, there are great words for us to take. And we find ourselves in the second chapter of Joel, uh, some selected verses, 12 through 14 and 28 and 29. So hear the word of God. Yet even now, says the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and with weeping and with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your clothing. Return to the Lord your God, for God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relents from punishing. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. For then afterward I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female slaves in those days, I will pour out my spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray, O Lord, that in this season of preparation, we may, through these words, be prepared to receive into our life your word and the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ, for we pray this in his name. Amen. George Carlin, that great theologian, <laughs> years ago in one of his routines talked about losing things, the propensity of human beings to lose things. And perhaps to bring comfort, Carlin wondered if maybe there was somewhere in the cosmos a place called the place of lost things. 
and that whenever we lost something, something like our keys, our wallet, our widowed sock, that the truth was those things weren't really lost, but that they simply went to the place of lost things and they stayed there until they were ready to be found. And that whatever time and effort you went into trying to find your lost things didn't much matter because we would only find these things only when they were ready to return from the place of lost things. Just here a minute ago, we say to ourselves, but that was before it decided to go to the place of lost things. Then Carlin would go on to say that maybe heaven was the place where you go to find all the things you lost. I like that idea. Heaven is the place you go to find all the things you lost. Something to look forward to. Because the truth is, life is filled with losing things. We've been losing things ever since we were very young. Mom, where's my sweatshirt? Honey, where are my car keys? Young man, where is your homework? I thought I parked the car here. <laughs> We've been losing things from the very beginning, and we have been losing things all along the way. Now, the interesting thing that happens when we are looking for things that we've lost is that we often, often end up finding serendipitously other things. Things we lost long before and forgot about or things that we never even knew we lost. Looking for your sweater, you find the shirt that you forgot you had. Looking for the screwdriver, you find the socket wrench you got for Christmas three years ago. Looking for your passport, you find your birth certificate. Looking for the butter, you find the three-week-old potato salad. <laughs> Sometimes in the midst of what was lost, there is something to be found. And that may be very important for us to remember because sometimes the things we lose are very important. Sometimes we lose more than the screwdriver or the flashlight. Sometimes we lose people, people we love. Sometimes we lose our health, our cherished health. Sometimes we lose touch with a friend Sometimes we lose trust in a friend. Sometimes we lose a child. Sometimes we lose a parent. Sometimes we lose our innocence. Sometimes we lose our dreams. Sometimes we lose our job. Sometimes we lose our spouse. Sometimes we lose our faith. Sometimes we lose our confidence. Sometimes we lose very important things. Such is, I think, the condition of which the prophet of old speaks. The prophet Joel speaks to the people of Judah, the people of Israel, and he speaks to them in the wake of great loss. It's what prophets do. More often than not, they speak 
to Israel in the wake of its loss, of their loss. It's what the Bible does a lot. The Bible speaks to us often in the wake of our loss. For Joel, he points to the season of environmental calamity brought upon them by the descent of locusts upon the land. Every plant, every tree, every vine has been picked clean by these locusts. Are these real locusts? Are they metaphorical locusts? It may not matter. Simply, it was a loss over which they had no control. Nothing they could do about this swarm of locusts descending. You can only count the loss and then in your grief wonder why, why? Did this happen? How could this happen? It's the deep, essential, and spiritual question we are bound to ask when something so important has been taken away. Why, God? How, God? And seldom are these questions questions to which we find a satisfactory answer. C.S. Lewis lost the love of his life just a few years after he married her. And the loss was crippling, overwhelming. And his questions of how and why he felt were being cast only to the wind. In his memoir on grief, he writes, but to go to God when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain, what do you find? A door slammed in your face and a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside, and after that silence, you may as well turn away. The longer you wait, the more emphatic the silence will become. Loss comes. It is a part of being human. It has perhaps more to do with being human and less to do with God being God, I think. But loss comes, and sometimes loss is devastating, and it makes us want to know why. And we search. It's what you do when you lose something. You look, you seek, you search, you try to understand. And then comes to us this word from Joel, the Lord the Lord is merciful and gracious, who knows that maybe he will leave behind a blessing. The Lord is merciful and gracious, who knows maybe he will leave behind a blessing. Maybe in the loss there is still something to be found. Many of you have heard me tell the story of the wonderful Christmas day back when I was 16 years old and driving the family to my grandparents' home for Christmas. I was 16, filled with vim and vigor and pretty confident with my newly acquired driver's permit. Pretty confident even on the unfamiliar highways of Lincoln, Illinois, when you're 16, nothing can happen to you except maybe a little ice on the highway and a construction zone and at 55 miles an hour, a telephone pole into which I plowed our family car along with our family. And the next two hours were filled with ambulances and police and live electrical wires and cracked bones and concussions and hospital admissions. I, as it turned out, was the only one left unscathed. Until 
later that day, the locusts came and picked clean whatever worth and confidence I ever had. No more vim and vigor for this 16-year-old until, of course, on the way back home to Michigan on Interstate 94 in a quickly purchased new family car, my father pulled off onto the shoulder of the road and handed me the keys. Your turn, he said. Oh no, said I. My driving days are over. Well, I guess that means, he said, we'll be sitting here a long time. So we sat for a moment with the keys dangling from his fingers and with them, at least to this 16-year-old, a father's unmerited grace and confidence. Unmerited grace and confidence in the loss, a blessing. And off we drove with my sweaty palms upon the wheel. I loved my father for that. In the loss, something to be found. Ernest Good Gordon in his book, Through the Valley of the Kwai, recounts the horrifying months of the Bataan death march and the imprisonment for those who survived. Stripped as by locusts of every shred of decency, they struggled to survive amidst rations barely enough to feed a baby. One of the prisoners, however, had managed to hold onto his little soldier's New Testament, and he began to read passages to the rest within the sound of his voice. And together they would pray and sing quietly. And in the midst of having lost just about everything, a strength, a mysterious strength began to fill them. And then would come the Lord's Supper. And Gordon writes, the elements were of our daily life, rice baked into the form of bread and fermented rice water. The Solemn words of the institution were said. We broke the bread as it was passed to us and then passed it to our neighbor. The elements were returned to the table, a prayer of thanksgiving said, a hymn sung and a blessing given. We slipped quietly away into the singing silence of the night, cherishing as we did so our experience of the communion of the saints. The Holy Spirit, he continues, made us one with our neighbors, with those at home, with the faithful in every land, in every age, and yes, even with the disciples. The prophet of old says, afterward, after the loss, after the locusts, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the slaves, even on the prisoners, I will pour out my spirit. In the midst of loss, something to be found. Charles Colson committed the first half of his life attaining the highest ranks of power, military law, the White House, only to lose all of it, including his soul. In the Watergate scandal, to prison he went alone, stripped 
as by locusts. Return to the Lord your God, says the prophet, for he is gracious and merciful. And what should Colson find in prison beyond his faith, but a call to minister to prisoners, a call to reform prisons, a cause toward which he poured out the second half of his life. Even on the prisoners, the prophet says, God will pour out his spirit. You remember reading George Eliot's great story, Silas Marner, the story of the man whose heart had grown cold from a series of hard knocks, and so he sets his life to making money through his weaving and in turn becomes this old, miserly, wealthy, lonely, and embittered man who sits in his house with his bag of gold coins protecting himself and his treasure from anyone who might come to steal it. And sure enough, someone comes and steals it. And now he has nothing. And every day he opens the door of the little house and stares into the outside through his cold, blurry eyes, hoping beyond hope that somebody might bring my money back. And one day as he's standing at his open door, staring almost in a despondent trance, a little child that has been earlier abandoned makes her way through the open door into his house and lays down at the warmth of his fire. Silas finally steps back into the house and through his old eyes he sees something before the fire. He can't quite make it out. The gold locks on the little girl's head for a moment make him think, make him think that the gold has returned. But then Silas realizes that it's a little girl and he picks up the little girl and brings her to his lap and holds her and tries to lull her to sleep. Elliot describes it this way, Silas began to feel a certain awe in the presence of the little child, such as we feel before some quiet majesty or beauty in the earth or sky, before a steady growing planet or a full flowered sweetbriar or the bending trees over a silent pathway. She continues, in old days there were angels who came and took men by the hand and led them away from the city of destruction. We see no white-winged angels now, yet men are led away from threatening destruction. A hand is put into theirs, which leads them forth gently towards a calm and bright land so that they look no more backward. And the hand may be the hand of a little child. They look no more backward and the hand may be the hand of a little child's. There is nothing like this season to make us look backward. And who could resist the yearning to capture memories of Christmas's past? And in our looking backward, there is nothing like this season that might bring to mind that which we have lost along the way. Those important losses the people, the love, the hope, and the truth that things are never going to be the way they used to be. But in the dark night, a star we could not see by day. In the dark night, a swaddled baby we would not look for, 
but for the angel's direction. In the dark night, the hand of a little child to lead us gently toward a calm and bright land. In the dark night, a blessing left by a merciful and gracious God. King of kings, yet born of Mary, as of old on earth he stood. Lord of lights, in human vesture, in the body, 
and the blood. He will give to all the faithful his own self for heavenly food. Friends, the good news is Christmas is not a season only for the holly and the jolly. Christmas is the season for all who need the grace and mercy of our Lord, all who need a special visitation, all who need to know that God loves us enough that he takes on our human flesh, takes on our human suffering, yes, even takes on our human loss. The Lord loves us enough that he comes to fill that very certain absence with his very certain presence. So you are invited to come and receive from this table the gifts of heavenly food, to know that Christ is with us, Emmanuel, God is with us, and to know that he will never let us go. Hear the words of the institution of the Holy Supper of our Lord Jesus Christ as they are delivered by the Apostle Paul. I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you that the same night in which he was betrayed. Our Lord took bread and after he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. When you eat of this, remember me. And after supper, Jesus took the cup and he said, this new cup, this, new, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you remember the Lord's death until he comes again and he will come again. Let us pray. We bless you, O Lord, for you have left behind for us a blessing. We bless you, O Lord, that in the midst of our lives, in the midst of our loss, in the midst of this season, you invite us to come to this table to find here a drink offering, a grain offering, and to know that it is your son's life and love and death that have made this meal possible. We bless you and pray that these elements, these earthly elements might become for us heavenly food, that we may participate again with the saints, that we may find ourselves never alone, but that we are within your presence, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that we are in the presence of the church. Join us at this table, O Lord, that we may sense the presence of your Holy Spirit. For we pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. Our Lord took bread.
Those who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. After supper, Jesus took the cup.
Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And he who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be the worthy sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. For no one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. We thank you, O oh God, for this heavenly meal, the bread of life and the cup of salvation that we have received from you. We now pray that you'll send us out into the world to share your love and grace with all that we meet. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with you now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.